Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I am Caleb, alongside my brother, Joshua. Joshua, got an exciting interview for tonight's episode. Uh, How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Before we get into tonight's episode, we have just a couple of big announcements. Number announcement number one is update from behind the fly tying vice of Joshua brought to you by A Flyco. Yeah, an Adramus fly company, the sharpest decision in fly tying tools. Make sure to check them out at aflyco.com. Dude, you've had some awesome stuff going on behind the vice here lately. Tell us about it. I uh, tied a dry fly that caught a wild brown trout here in my favorite like blue line stream only 10 minutes from the house with foster on friday so that was pretty awesome yeah man we and, posted a picture in the instagram page about it if you missed it go go check it out it's, yeah it's a sweet fish too man it's so awesome. yeah man um and you know was using my a fly co scissors so an address fly company dad's 20 for 20 percent off your order so that was the first kind of thing we wanted to throw in on this episode and then secondly man we have the big announcement. Yeah, we got a really exciting announcement to make that we want to make sure first we give the opportunity for this announcement to just our listeners. So we won't be posting this online or anywhere uh, probably for a little bit longer. So if you hear this episode and you're interested in this opportunity, make sure to uh, sign up quickly. So Joshua, tell them a little, little bit about what's going on with Dads on the Fly coming up in April. So Dads on the Fly is excited for the first ever Dads on the Fly father-son retreat dads on the fly father-son retreat right here in western north carolina in our beautiful hometown of canton right up the road the first place where we caught a uh a trout on a fly rod yeah pretty neat we're going to be taking dads and sons for a day of fly fishing um for more details guys you need to just dm us or send us an email it will be april 28th through april 30th and we have all the details available if you want to send us a DM or an email at thedads at dadsonthefly.com. Yeah, so dads out there, make sure um, if you're listening to this, uh, we would love to get you connected with the Dads on the Fly father-son retreat. Our goal in this retreat is to really make the dads the hero. Uh, we want to give you opportunities to just spend some intentional time with your sons. So if you'd like to uh, get connected or participate in this event, um, we're going to be sending a lot more details, but shoot us a DM and we'll shoot you all the information. Uh, probably in next week's episode, we'll we'll do a little bit longer spiel about this and give you all the details as far as like price and uh, times for everything. And we'll talk a little bit deeper into that. But the if things- you want to get connected with the Father Son Retreat, shoot us a message or email us at the dads. That's T H E D A D S at dadsonthefly.com. A couple of things we just want you to understand about this is we are doing our first one. It is very small, so it is very limited. So if you want to get in on it, you need to get us. Um, it's going to be guided fly fishing on Saturday, campfires on Friday and Saturday night. Um, all the meals are going to be included in the price package. And uh, we are doing this for a very affordable rate, folks. And just want to let you know, for this first one, it's going to be dads and sons only. Um, if you do have two sons, that's fine. You could bring both of them. Um, everyone will have their own room with a bathroom. Uh, it's going to be eight-year-olds to 14-year-olds for this first one is what we're trying to do, keeping that age range. I mean, if you're close to that and you feel like you can make it happen, we could probably work with you. But um, we have some cool things in mind for that weekend. So we wanted to get this out to our listeners before we did our social. So... It's not going to drop on Instagram for about another week, so you get a first shot at it. Any listeners that want to get involved in this, April 28th through April 30th, 2023, 
Uh, if you're coming in from out of town, we can it's take right, care of you. It's right here in Canton, North Carolina. And we can so, take care of you. Yeah, and we will we will definitely be happy to take care of you if you're coming in from from a little bit further away. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited about this. And uh, we're going to have some more information coming out probably in next week's episode. But I um, wanted to give we our just, listeners the first opportunity to get connected with this before we posted it on. Yeah, we were so stoked. We've been working on this for a long time. And we're so happy to finally be able to announce that it is happening. And uh, we want to fish with you. But more importantly, we want you to be with your kid for the weekend. Um, intentional present time is what we talk about on this podcast all the time. So that's what we're about. So... Caleb, without anything else, we're going to jump into an awesome interview. Yeah, man. You talk about, like, cool story and just seeing and understanding the importance of dads being intentional with their kids. Our interview tonight with is with Mr. Hunter Levine of Captain's Collective, and uh, he tells a great story of how intentional his dad was with him. And uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. <laughs> All right, Caleb, so we have a very special guest tonight with us here on Dads on the Fly. Um, I found out about our guest uh, listening to his show, just uh, randomly doing a, I don't know, I guess a podcast search one day and was just exploring the world. And I listened to this great, you know me, trying to figure out places I can fish and trips. And I found him through this cool series he did down in the Bahamas. And then I went back and binged and figured it all out, Sal. But come to find out, he's a great, he's got a great story, and also he fits He's a true dad on the fly, man, um, of, of two kids. And so we want to welcome to our show tonight, Mr. Hunter Levine. Thanks, Hunter, for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. I think it's really great what you guys are doing. So excited to be a part. Uh, we appreciate that, man. And uh, we do, again, just thank you for taking time uh, late on a Monday night to hang out and talk with us. Uh, I guess we all kind of know what that's like having kids. And uh, this is like our best time to be able to hang. So I'm sure you can maybe relate to that. Um, but yeah. man, we're, we're excited to talk a little bit about <clears throat> just your fly fishing story. And so let us know what got you into fly fishing. How did you start doing this? Yeah. So when I was a kid, my dad worked for the Florida fish and wildlife commission, and we lived on a large piece of property called green swamp West outside of Tampa. So I'm, I'm a fifth generation Floridian. We just, we just created a little sixth generation Floridian about two years ago. And uh, so we, we lived down outside of Tampa and on some property that my dad patrolled with FWC. And we were a couple miles behind a gate, no neighbors. And I spent the first five years or so of my life uh, just kind of playing on that big piece of property. And I think as a kid, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything else other than, you know, hanging out in the outdoors. We, we didn't have like TV and stuff like that. And so my, my earliest memories, my earliest memory was getting a, a chocolate lab that we named Dusty when I was a little kid. Uh, but pretty quickly, some of my earliest memories were just kind of, you know, kind of trudging around ponds with my dad on that property and watching him bass fish and watching him catch brim. And eventually, you know, I would get to where I could catch brim and bass in those ponds as a little kid. We moved over to Crestview, Florida, not too far from uh, Santa Rosa in that Destin area. And uh, that's kind of when I began to get a chance to go hang out with my dad and he would do saltwater fishing. And I remember we'd go to a really great spot, had some structure and he'd pay me to catch little crabs for him. And he'd hook, he'd uh, hook those crabs on live bait and, and catch bull reds off that structure and uh as a kid i was honestly more interested in catching the crabs and the the big bull reds and 
Uh, kind of, you know, started to get a little exposure to salt water. But my dad's philosophy growing up was always, I'm just going to get them in the outdoors and expose them to a lot of different types of things and just see what stuff sticks long term. And so I remember being a kid, man, and I was so disinterested in turkey hunting and my dad was sick for it. And I just couldn't for the life of me uh, catch the bug. I remember going with my dad and scouting and, and running. And I mean, we had hot birds and stuff and it just wasn't my thing. So he'd take me turkey hunting. I didn't like it. He'd stop taking me. And I, we'd do that with a lot of different stuff in the outdoor world. And, um, fly fishing came in for me. I remember a few times I tried to, uh, do stream fishing and in late elementary school, middle school up in uh, pigeon forge in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and my dad used to love doing that. We'd go up there every year and he would uh, go around with his fly rod in the streams and I'd bring one with me. And I hated it because, uh, you know, I'd just be getting caught in the the trees and the fish were small. And, you know, uh, just as a little kid, you know, I just middle school, high, middle, middle school and elementary school it just didn't really stick for me. So I remember uh, kind of passing up on that. And what my dad began to do is he would drop me off at a, a little bit bigger stream uh, in Gatlinburg. And, and I would have my conventional gear and little, little Rapala plugs and stuff like that. And there was a Hardee's nearby and I just kind of play around in middle school. I thought I had unlimited freedom. I just kind of wait around and catch smallmouth bass on uh, spinning tackle. And he would go fly fish and uh in high school got really into duck hunting got more into floundering and uh flounder gigging and uh going just conventional red fishing and we i remember me and uh i always had a boat in high school at 16 i had a gnu uh my best friend had a kenner and uh we just you know we'd red fish we'd go out and catch uh catch rock bass we thought we were the rock bass kings and uh it was all conventional and, uh, and then I went off to college and I worked a lot and I ended up getting married towards the end of college to, to my high school sweetheart. And, uh, I would fish with my dad. My dad retired from FWC when I was in college and began, uh, just guiding saltwater fishing. And, uh, I would go fish with him. We do mangrove snapper and redfish and trout and, and stuff like that. And, uh, when I got out of college and I started to have just a little bit more time again, um, I, I remember just kind of really gravitating back towards redfish and then gravitating back towards redfish. I kind of got into sight fishing a little bit more and uh, I had sight fished some growing up and I just started getting sick for that. And eventually I, I picked up the fly rod and started throwing, you know, started throwing flies at redfish and black drum and stuff like that. So that's, for me, it was kind of, uh, you know, I, I wish in one sense, I wish that I would have gotten into fly fishing younger because you always think, oh, I'd be such a better caster and I'd have so much credibility. And I, you know, all these, all these lies you tell yourself, if you would have been some sort of 12 year old, you know, we, we all meet these 12 year olds who are sick for fly fishing and for me, though, I did a lot of everything, and when I kind of reached adulthood, the thing that kind of lived in the back of my brain that I kind of came back to was just wanting to chase fish with a fly sight fishing. It was it was less about the fly and honestly more about sight fishing for me. 
um, and still is. So that was kind of my uh, a rough sketch of my story into it. Well, I got to come back to a couple things you said. Number one is that story pretty much, I just kept hearing that name, your dad, your dad, your dad, over and over again. And we talk so much on our show about relationships with fathers and what that was like. And that obviously meant so much to you. I think probably looking back as an adult now, that probably means even more of how much time you got doing that stuff with your dad at a young age. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, for me, with my both my parents work for the state. My mom went to college when I was in elementary school. So I remember when I was about 12 years old, uh, my dad saved up all year for me to get a chance to go out with Captain Kelly Wines in Destin, Florida and go pull on Red Snapper. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to, to do a lot of really kind of extravagant things. And my dad had a a pretty demanding job at the time. And so my entire, like many people, my entire outdoor experience for the first 20 years of my life was, was curated by my dad to some extent. You know, I, when I, when I started driving my own truck and had my own boat in high school, I started to get to do my own things. But then even then, even when I had that, I, I mean, the number one person that I was learning from at the time, we didn't have smartphones when I was in high school and I really started doing it for myself as you just go talk to dad you know? And so my, you know, at this point I look at it as I'm a, I'm a toddler in the outdoor world. And uh, my dad just got done, you know, changing my, changing my metaphorical diapers in the outdoor world. And he's still dealing with a lot of my messes, you know? So, uh, yeah, I owe a lot to him. Oh, pretty much all of it to him. <laughs> what a great analogy. <laughs> I mean, that's just so true. Um, probably for a lot of us out there and, uh, I think that's just so that's such a good thing though, to have that in your life, um, to have a dad that you can bounce that kind of stuff off of. And, uh, I'm sure it probably helped, um, just grow your relationship in a lot of other ways too. I'm, I'm sure that probably led to a lot of conversations other than just outdoor world type stuff. Yeah, it, it did. And I mean, for me, my, my dad did a lot of law enforcement before he was a fishing guide. And, uh, I was really into sports growing up and sports was my main love all the way up till about 18 and hunting and fishing was always a special thing that I did, but I was, you know, competitive by nature my entire life. And so I oriented a lot of my life around sports and, uh, the outdoor world was the stage that most of my meaningful moments of my dad happened in my life. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, when I look back at that and now that I have kids, you know, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn from things that he did. And honestly, I, I, it, I better understand a lot of the things that he did and didn't do trips. He didn't take me on, uh, and things like that too. So it's, it's fun to be on this side of it. Now I have two little girls. So, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of getting, getting my own little crash course. So, so you said something there I want to kind of lean into a little bit. You said you've learned maybe about some trips he didn't take you on. So <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah. So when I was a kid, uh, you know, it, there was things like, um, white tail deer hunting and, uh, I would go with my dad and I remember, uh, one time I, I just, I, I couldn't stop farting and I was laughing every time. <laughs> It wasn't that the, it wasn't the noise of the fart. It was sitting in a box stand yeah. giggling, you know, a little kid giggling and giggling and giggling. And 
you know, I would do stuff like that. And I just, you know, I liked hanging out with my dad and I liked the idea of being out in nature. And I think like all little boys, you know, a lot of times little boys are drawn to, I want to be a cowboy. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be, you know, a cop because these are archetypes of, you know, manhood for us. And so I wanted to be out there in the woods with my dad, you know, but when it really came down to it, at that, those certain times, I didn't enjoy the actual act of hunting or the actual act of fishing. And my dad wouldn't force me. And so, you know, he, he would, uh, he, he wouldn't take me further than, um, further than I, I was ready to go at the time. So like, you know, when I was eight years old, I, I would go hunt with my dad for a morning, but I wouldn't go hunt for four days. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go fish for an afternoon. I wouldn't go fish for two days straight sun up to sundown and my dad would do things like that, but he wouldn't take me on those. So with my kids now, you know, there's certain, certain times a year, certain trips, certain environments that they're just, their, their personal interest level isn't there yet. And so I'm not going to push them too hard outside of that. Yeah. I think that's extremely wise. And just being able to use that discernment, kind of like you're saying, and figuring out what's best for your kids at the right times. And um, it's cool that you can, you pick that out and you learn that. Well, we talk already. about we talk about that a lot. Um, we've had a lot of guests, and and we've even kind of come to that conclusion of don't force your kids into things obviously that they don't enjoy, but give them what you make a point of is you got a lot of different opportunities, and some stuck more in high school and in your younger years, and then you come back to now, and you know this is this is stuck. But we want to talk about fly fishing. You're talking to two of those uh, boys who spend time catching all those little fish that you don't like to catch um, and, <laughs> and that you got bored of. That's kind of what we do and <laughs> what got us into fly fishing. Um, so tell us a little bit about, for two mountain boys from western North Carolina, just a little bit east of Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg that you were referring to, I have a feeling when we do this, we're going to be hooked too on these, these bigger fish, but how do you get started as a, if you're not from Florida, it was all around you, but as a fly angler on the salt, like what, obviously it's a much different culture and a much different world, one that you're very familiar with, but what does it look like to kind of jump into that first of all? Yeah, well, one of the things is, I mean, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about maybe some of like the cultural differences, but you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I was up in uh, North Carolina at the Tuscasegee River. And, you know, you, you have like you go into a fly shop and they're like, here's all the information. Here's what the river's doing and the temperatures and the amount of water moving. And this is what's hatching and hitting right now and stuff like that. And it's like very self-guided. Um, and just kind of like, Hey, as the shop, like, yeah, we got some guides we can take you with, but you know, we're here as the shop to really just try to help you go out and walk out to a sweet little spot of public land and have a great, you know, have a great day. It's kind of the general vibe I get from some of those types of trips. The saltwater is a little, is a little bit, I think like tighter, tighter with their information, so I think that can make it challenging for people. Like you wouldn't just like walk in a fly shop and be like, you know, asking tons of questions and, you know, maybe the fly shop and the people are really cool and they help you or they give you some general stuff. But um, people are, are really 
tend to be kind of tight lipped because anybody with a boat can pull back there and, and, uh, they're really worried about, worried about that. So that's, that's a factor, um, that I think can be really challenging. So all that to say, if, if you really want to, if you really want to learn and you're, you're new to it, it really is just worth saving up some money and getting a guide, getting a captain and saying, Hey, I got a little bit of background in, in fly fishing, but man, I'm just, I'd like to just learn some of the basics of chasing snook or chasing redfish or chasing whatever and just be honest with them that you know where you're at and in and respect that you know that they make their living on public land and so you you know like you know if you're if you're actually looking for spots to fish then then tell them that you know say man i i, I plan on coming here every summer and i'd like to just learn some generic stuff out here or whatever just be 100 percent honest about what you're trying to do but uh you know, I think that's really important. The, the overall, you know, major differences is, you know, your casting's way different. You, you go from, you know, casting just a couple feet to, you know, the, the further you, you are able to cast accurately, the more opportunity you're going to have. If you're an average angler, what, what can you cast on in, in the salt? I'm just, that was a curious question. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's really tough because a lot of people, their, their struggle isn't necessarily distance, it's accuracy and the speed aspect of getting it to that fish. So, you know, you, a lot, a lot of your fish are not going to be what we would call laid up. A lot of your fish are going to be moving. And so like what your guides often want you is like, they don't care if you can throw the fl full fly line, they care about you being able to cast, you know, 30 yards or, you know. 20 feet, 25 feet, whatever they want you to be able to have, have it accurate and lay out the fly in a way that doesn't spook the fish. So, you know, I mean, really it's, it's more about accuracy in most circumstances and also being able to understand that you're, you're, you're on a ticking time bomb. You don't, you don't have a, a redfish, you know, hanging out, you know, in a little pool and you're going to get a bunch of shots at it. You might have a redfish cruising and you might be lucky to get two shots at it. And every shot after the first shot is going to be a worse shot angle wise. So I think that's the thing is like you got moving targets. Um, everybody thinks about the fish being bigger. That's not the, the main thing is you got moving targets. You know, you're going to um, be presented with a bunch of different circumstances, fish coming to you, fish coming away, fish really close to the boat, fish further from the boat. Um, so a lot of those guides just really, instead of thinking a ton about, can I throw my whole line? I think just thinking about like, well, within 40 feet of the boat, can I, can I be really accurate and throw it, you know, right where it needs to be. And then the double haul is a big issue because we have a lot of wind. And so if you can't double haul, that presents a whole nother issue with your, with your line and everything laying out. Right. We got lots of work to do. We only, we only <laughs> have a, we only have a month to practice. So we better, we, at we the time we record, at the time we're recording this. So we, we got to get out and the, football field or something and and get some hula hoop, get some hula hoops and st start after it we got plenty of wind yeah. here that won't be a problem we got wind <clears> to test this <throat> here yeah, no, we can get the wind that's for sure um well, the, the best thing the best thing that i would say too is like trying to be really honest with if you if you got a guy just you know being honest and working with him because he'll assess your he or she will assess your ability 
where you're at. And then what, what will happen is they'll start to make edge. They'll start to actually try to position you on that fish in a way that is in a zone that you can have success on. And so, you know, that's communic that communication with the guide, you know, they might say, okay, they're, they're struggling, they're struggling with these further shots. So let's be really, really quiet and move really slow and try to sneak up on fish or position on a fish, or they might take you to a different setting or area based off your abilities. So I think that's really important too, is just, you know, trying to, trying to work with the work with the guide on that. That's been, that's been huge for me. And that thing too, just realizing, man, like, you know, just, just have fun. Everybody's, everybody's just out here to have a good time and every, you know, everybody wants to get better. And, you know, I've never fished with anybody that didn't have something to work on, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think we're, we're super stoked about getting on the salt here in about a month or so. And, uh, the, the cast is just being real. It's, it's intimidating because, you know, we're, we're used to roll casting two and three weights, uh, you know, 10, 15 feet away, your furthest cast. Um, getting out there and getting ready to do this is we're excited about it though. I mean, it, it definitely represents a new challenge. Um, catching fish, uh, on the fly in a, in a different setting is going to be, well, I'm going to be exciting. I'm going into it with low expectations. So see that way, if I overachieve, I, I'm in a place to there you go, feel more yeah. successful. Our goal is just to land a fish. <laughs> so, um, so you, you talked about that in just the salt community and, We've heard that it's different, and I think you've obviously done a great job of connecting with that community, and we're going to talk about that after the break. But what is – do you have a favorite species you love to target, man, just when you get a chance to fish? Yeah, my, definitely for me, redfish is kind of the species that I, I feel like, at least in this season of life and, like, where I'm at, you know, it's it's a fish that that's – I don't know, it sounds – sounds crazy but it's 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 kind of the fish that i feel like closest to you know like i've i've chased some permit a few times and i'm like man like that is it, it's super cool to see those fish in the water and i've got some decent shots and even hooked one and it's like but that's not a fish that's in my backyard and that's not a fish that i've learned much about and so in that sense like i'm really excited to go go chase those again but you know we have redfish here i feel like i've read the most thought the most fished the most so far at this point for redfish i feel i feel like that's the fish that that i gravitate towards towards the most but the neat thing with saltwater is i feel like every every fish has its own unique thing that i think people really like about it and i i guess that's the same with like you know why would somebody like a brook trout why wouldn't they want to go catch a mega brown trout you know it's like well there's certain things about chasing brook trout that they like and there's certain things about big fish. So for me, like redfish are redfish are my favorite. They're here. They're here year round. They do a lot of cool stuff. They come in all different sizes. They tail, they belly crawl, they get in schools. They, I mean, they do all sorts of different stuff. Uh, so that's, that's for me right now. Um, my favorite fish that I've chased that's not around here is bonefish. Bonefish are just, they're like deceivingly vicious little animals, you know, so they're really cool. Yeah. I like them. That's awesome. So you've been, uh, you've been fishing down there on the salt for, for how long now kind of on, on your own and you do some guided stuff as well. Um, yeah. So for, for me, like, you know, I, I've fished saltwater 
in and out my my whole life um my great grandfather was a mullet fisherman in tampa so i mean like i like i couldn't even pinpoint the first time i actually saltwater fished um when i really started liking saltwater fishing was high school yeah uh and even before i could drive my dad had a 1860 which is an 18-foot aluminum g3 boat that had a trolling motor on it that's when i started to to flats fish because he was comfortable with me taking that out like if we'd go stay somewhere we'd be somewhere um i could take that out myself even before i could drive a truck and you know the cool thing with flats fishing is like you know if you're 14 15 years old you're not going to be like well some people are but my dad wasn't comfortable with me running eight miles offshore to go chase something you know he was like but i I could go you know a couple coves down and uh put the trolling motor down and then you start seeing things like you don't know what you're looking for you're just blind casting and then you start you see a tail or you see a group of a school of fish come through and then you start going how can i find more of that and then in high school you know i just you know, I wasn't that paying that much attention. So I just get lucky and stumble on stuff sometimes. Um, but yeah, so I think, and then, and then, uh, post-college I, I started getting back into it around, you know, 2023 or so. So I'm 30. So about seven years of seven years of going about as hard as I can. So I, I gotta ask, we ask a lot of people this, uh, on this podcast, especially, you know, you coming from a different setting than what we're used to. We know what the lure is for us to chase trout around here in our home waters. What's the, what's the thing that keeps bringing you back to it? Why do you keep going? Why do you still have this love for it today? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I watched this, uh, documentary on, um, big wave surfing and there's this guy that was like on this 60, 70 foot wave and he, he had a really bad wipeout and he was like in counseling and they asked him what, what does surfing mean to you? Like, why is it important? And any long story short, he ended up working through that answer and he like overcame PTSD and he's back on these big waves. I remember watching that with my wife and I'm like, man, I, why is, why is fishing so important to me? Why am I willing to like sacrifice so much in other areas? And why do I think about it so much and dedicate so much time to it and stuff like that? And I don't fully have the answer yet. I, I feel like that's a cop out, but I'm still trying to figure that out. But, um, you know, for me, I know that when I, when I'm out there doing it, it's just, I, I'm locked in in a way that I don't connect in any other space. Um, when I'm, when I'm fishing and I'm, I'm, I'm zoned in, like it's, there's a special connection. I know for me as a Christian, I think that, you know, God hardwired us to, want to be in his creation in certain ways in certain spaces and places that I think it's triggering some of those things. But for me too, I, that's still something I'm, I'm working through. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't, you know, I'm just 30 years old. So maybe if I had that answer, you know, the the next 30 years wouldn't be so fun, uh, but I'm still working through it. Yeah, think, man. I, well, I think it's something that's always changing too. I so. think it, it changes <laughs> as we different seasons of life i guess is what how it changed with us uh we're gonna take a quick break folks and then uh we're gonna come back and talk about um something i'm really excited about which is uh hunter's show that he produces and uh and records his podcast and also um being a dad to two young girls and living the saltwater life as a as a dad that's going to be exciting for us to all hear how he does that so uh, we'll take a quick break we'll be right back (laughs) 
Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Located in the heart of Maggie Valley, the shop offers guide trips and top-of-the-line gear and apparel for all your fly fishing needs. Yeah, Shannon and his crew over at the Maggie Valley Fly Shop just opened this October. They're already making a great impact here in western North Carolina. So if you're taking a trip to the Great Smoky Mountains or anywhere in western North Carolina, make sure to give them a shout for a guided trip or go see them for any of your fly fishing needs. You can also check them out online at maggievalleyflyshop.com. And we're back with Mr. Hunter Levine from the Captain's Collective. And uh, Hunter, you've been sharing some awesome stuff with us about your story of getting into fly fishing and uh, fly fishing in the saltwater community and how it's different than what we're used to and some ways to get into that. But one of the reasons uh, we found you, Joshua actually found you, was listening to your podcast, The Captain's Collective. So tell us a little bit about The Captain's Collective, how it started and uh, how it's kind of evolved over the last several years. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I've, I've always been when, when I really like something and I really get into something, I, I'm, I really try to immerse myself in it and read as much as I can and do as much as I can with it. And, um, for me, when I really, really just got the bug for fishing and fly fishing, um, I was trying to find certain things out there to, kind of satisfy that itch and one of the things that i that i wanted to to do was listen to podcasts and i just didn't hear there were some podcasts out there but i knew there was space like there wasn't enough to kind of fill my own appetite and so um i decided to start my own podcast really just to try to learn and get stories and and meet people um i didn't really you know i think looking talking to people now i think people think that i probably had more things figured out and more of a game plan than what the reality actually was and so for me like i i kind of read a little bit and learned a little bit about podcast gear i saved up some money and bought some and then i just started asking people hey i'm just trying to do a podcast interviewing people and I uh, want to get their story and want to learn from them about fishing. We're not going to talk about spots, anything that you don't want to talk about. We won't, won't talk about anything you want me to cut out. I'll cut out. Like I just, this isn't a gotcha show. This isn't about burning stuff or ruining fisheries. This is, I just, my own curiosity of trying to create a show that feels like you're hanging out and, and having an intentional beer with somebody. And so the first person I ever interviewed was a guy that's local here to where I live now, Harry Spear, who's, who's uh, become a really great, really great friend, mentor, um, you know, figure to me. And uh, Harry met me and did the podcast and, and uh, we really began to connect after that. And uh, we'll come to find out, you know, I knew Harry because I, I fished here and, you know, kind of knew, knew kind of who, who the kind of who's who's of this area well there were just a lot of people really interested in harry's story and so the first podcast episode i ever recorded just really resonated with a lot of people across the state who were interested in what harry was up to now and in his perspective on things and so after interviewing harry I, we reached out to a, a few other you know kind of quote-unquote big name guys early on and uh they were gracious and willing. And I realized if I would work around their schedule and would actually care and listen and be straight up with them, that people would make time for me. And once that started happening, it just became easier and easier to, you know, 
ask people and, and one thing led to the next and kind of got some momentum. Um, so that, that was about four years ago. So we're, we're approaching, uh, a hundred episodes, each episode around an hour. Um, and starting off just really simply would just, you know, do anything I could. Like I, I remember, uh, very early on, we, uh, took my wife's car on my wife's birthday. I missed my wife's birthday. And me and my best friend drove down to the Keys. We could only afford to be down there one night. So we literally woke up at 2 in the two a.m. in the morning, drove down there, had lunch with Bo Basso, interviewed Bo, uh, went out on the boat for about an hour or two with Bo, um, crashed at a friend's house, interviewed Rob Fordyce, and drove back because we didn't have enough money to buy our meals and food and stuff. And, you know, so... Drove back and bought your wife dinner or, or brought something, right? Yeah, after it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Figure it in a different day. Now, I mean, and that's, that's, she's been, she's been nothing but, but supportive the whole time. And she, you know, I've, I've always been this way with stuff when I want to learn and uh, you know, but I guess the point being very early on, especially I was just willing to do anything I can just to, you know, if somebody was willing to give me an hour of time and I could interview them, I was going to take it. And it didn't matter if I had to drive nine hours, 10 hours, you know, eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich in the car, whatever I needed to do, I was willing to do that. And like I said, too, I think that I think that my interest in just wanting to hear people's stories and learn and, you know, that type of thing, I think that resonated with people pretty early on. Well, the show is, if, if you haven't listened to the show, folks, it's it's very specific to, it's called the Captain's Collective because for the most part, you interview gods and, and captains, correct? I know you've kind yeah. of branched out a little bit this past season with some episodes you've done, but you know that's pretty much the basis of it, correct? Yeah, that's that's the basis. Like, I, I'm trying to think about the first non non captain would probably be you know a photographer or something, an artist. Um, but yeah, it's always been captains and industry leaders. Just you know. Uh, kind of a mix of videographers, photographers, artists, captains, retired captains, that type of thing. And they tell in, through the show. I'm, I'm just gonna say, I, I'm a fan. I, I've never caught a saltwater fish on a fly rod, uh, as we sit here right now, and I've never been to a lot of these places. But I love a good story, and I love a good hearing about an adventure. And uh, I would just say congratulations for that because I think you tell a, your show tells great stories. And it leads people to to big time adventures. I think so. Um, big big ups for that man. I, I enjoy your show and appreciate for what you do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I just think it's really neat the way it all came from a place of of curiosity, um, of just trying to learn more, of trying to dive deeper into something that you're really passionate about, and uh, th- that's just a really cool story. The way it all kind of came to play. Yeah, for me, I I try to fight really hard to keep that curiosity, you know, to, to you know, and I mean, really, like, it's not as much tactics and tips as as it is just people's stories and philosophies and, and their view on things. And you can start, you can, some of the biggest, in fact, probably all the biggest takeaways for me have not had anything to do with fishing because at the end of the day, you know, all, all the, the areas that I need to improve in, in fishing, you know, they're, it's not that they're relatively complicated. It's just that I need to practice and spend time on the water and keep doing it. But in life, you know, those big paradigm shifts, I think those are the most important pieces. And, you know, through, through the show and as you're, you know, kind of entered into this world, 
you uh, of podcasting, but you were already a, a dad, and now you're a a dad of a two two year two and six, correct? Yep, two yep, and six, and uh, and both girls. And so, what does it mean to you? Um, first of all, just I don't know how much you've gotten them on the water, but just just being their dad and you know them them seeing what you do. I mean, obviously they see you in this environment, and you know if you're like us, you eat, sleep, and breathe fishing sometimes, and they see you tying flies or they see you getting your rods rigged up and all that stuff. So, how do you kind of blend all that together, and how how cool is it for you to do that with your kids? Yeah, man, it's it's really special. My six year old, she's she she really she really does enjoy it. I mean, she's, she's, uh, caught a decent bit of fish already. Um, she's, uh, she likes going out on the boat with me. Um, I, if it, you know, I kind of look for the right scenario weather wise and time wise and tide wise for her. Uh, we're hoping to get her her first sight fish, redfish. She had some really good shots last year at, at redfish, not on the fly, but just spin and tackle. And, uh, it just, it's going to take everything coming together, but I, I could care less you know, how, how all that goes, but she likes to see fish already. She likes to be out there with me. Um, and so my youngest, my two-year-old, you know, she goes to the beach with my wife is a stay at home. We live about 12 minutes from the coast and, uh, my two-year-old goes to the beach probably three times a week, at least. Um, we also live by a river. She goes down to that some, so, I mean, she's, she's a wild little kid, but you know, she's not on boats very much. She's, she's on shores, uh, and just kind of playing in the water and outside. We, uh, at my house, we don't have a TV. Um, my wife and I watch like movies and TV shows and stuff just on our computer. Uh, but our kids were just, you know, it's a very special thing to let them watch a movie on the computer. We, we try to, you know, just have them, we live on six acres and we try to have them outside and playing and their exposure to nature right now is I, I, you know, is I'm not worried about them being on boats or being technical. I just want them to be outside and, uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been really great to watch them. They're both really, really different, different personalities. Um, but we're we're slowly we're slowly kind of figuring out you know the best scenarios to put them in. So how are you balancing? Uh, you know, you've got a we haven't even talked about this yet. You've got a full time job. You're doing the captain's collective on top of that, um, and then you're getting into the water. How are you as a dad, kind of? balancing and maintaining all that to be able to spend time with your kids, but also be able to pursue all these all the awesome things that you're passionate about. Yeah. I, I don't stress, I, I don't stress getting them on the water too much. Like, um, to me, I, I'm not worried about getting them on the water, you know, a couple times a week or anything like that. Uh, to me, I just, I just am trying to keep their appetite for it there. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we'll just go to the beach for an hour or we'll, uh, you know, just I'll show them photos from a fishing trip I'm on or we'll, you know, I try to invite them into some of that. I, I think that a lot of people like it's just like sports, too. It's like I also just try to let it be kids like my kids would rather ride their bicycles than, you know, than tie flies with me, you know, so they, they don't tie flies. They don't you know, they don't do any of that stuff. I, I could care less. I just want them to like me and like being outside. That's kind of the minimum. What what, um, a, what so. a great point though. We sometimes miss that as dads and you know, I'm sounds like your daughter's going to catch a redfish on the fly before me, but <laughs> at six, but at the end of the day, you're, she just wants to be with her dad. And 
and that's that's the point you're making that we can't ever hear enough on this show and with everybody we talk to. They're your kids. They're, they're going to want to be with you. And, and you don't want to be the pageant mom, for lack of a better phrase, of the outdoor world. That's just like, like, I don't, you know, people, you know, if some kid really loves it, like I have a friend, PJ, his, his daughter, uh, Piper is just absolutely ate up with fly fishing. Amazing. It would be an amazing interview. Um, and, uh, man, she for real loves it, but there's a lot of dudes who like drag their kids in the outdoors and take photos and just want to like, like, look at my kid. It's like, man, I like, I don't, I don't care about that. You know, I'm not here for that. They're the pageant moms of the outdoor world. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, you're right. They do exist. You see them on Instagram all the time. I mean, you see the, you see the pictures of the, uh, of the guys who are always posting, you know, ridiculous stuff and you can tell their kids like yeah i got a fish and, and they don't yeah. even really want to be there um man that that's that's just such a good point that's a good, that's a good i've never heard that but i like it i'll kind of keep that in mind next time i make foster pose with a fish although most yeah, of the time sure. most of the time foster <laughs> likes being out i haven't forced him yeah. to go uh so we wanted to talk before before we end the show um you know we wanted to talk to you uh, because of the great work you're doing and uh, kind of get a little feel for the salt. And, you know, I, I find your show so interesting and wanted to learn about fly fishing. But through through your show, in some of your episodes, I've been able to tell. And then after talking to you, you, you affirmed that you are a man of faith and, and you love Jesus and you, you have a relationship with him. And so um, can you talk about how kind of you've talked all about your fishing story young and how that kind of just how Jesus came into your life? Yeah, um, for for me, I, I went to church some growing up, but it, it wasn't really an important, a super important part of my life. Um, the most, to me, the most important piece of my life was always, uh, sports. And, uh, my, my cousins like six, nine, you know, played for FIU, made it into the WWE for a brief moment. And he's, he's huge. And there's some big people in my, in my family, and growing up, I was always really big for my age. Like I was so big for my age and in first or second grade, they had to bring a different desk in. Um, I got photos of me playing, you know, I played tackle football starting in first grade and I got photos, you know, I was just a big kid, really tall and, uh, and, um, went to middle school, played middle school basketball, played middle school football, played travel basketball around the Southeast. And, uh, by the time I was in seventh grade, we my, my family decided to move me over to a private school that had a really good football program. And so my eighth grade year, I started on uh, JV football and then I got moved up to varsity as an eighth grader. I think in eighth grade, I was six, one, one eighty um, defensive end played defensive end since I was in, in first grade. Uh, so I had a lot of experience at it. And um, I was in a varsity football game where they would put me in the last, two minutes of a game where they ran the score up, you know, to where I couldn't mess anything up and they would get me uh, reps on the field. And so you guys think about that 18 years old varsity. Uh, we went to state by the way, like it was a real deal team. And, uh, and I was in there in eighth grade and I had a, our defensive tackle fell across my leg and snapped my tibia just clean in half. And, uh, 
had to go, you know, go to the emergency room, had to put a, a rod in. Well, in eighth grade, I'm sitting there and they tell me that my, my growth plates are closed, that I'm pretty much done growing. So eighth, eighth grade, I'm around like six, two, six, three. By eighth grade, I was probably, you know, I was probably, I was probably sneaking up towards 200 pounds. I was a really big kid. And, uh, you know, I was thinking I was going to be six, seven, you know, six, eight, D one defensive end, big. And you find out, man, like I'm probably not going to grow another inch in high school, you know. And uh, so I played high school football, uh, but my uh, ninth grade year, I had a a coach invite me to an FCA camp and somebody shared the gospel there. And I was in a vulnerable place where my identity uh, as a football player and thinking I'm going to go to the NFL and all that stuff that you think when you're in eighth grade that had all been kind of shattered and I was in a really receptive place and, uh, heard the gospel, uh, gave my life to Christ in high school. And, uh, at 16, I didn't go to church from, from ninth grade, 10th, 10th grade, but at 16, there was a, a church plant in Tallahassee that, uh, was that, that my friend was going to, and I got connected there and I've been there ever since. And I was so impacted from 16 to 18 that, I met with the senior pastor and I was like, man, I really want to, I think I want my job to be helping people experience what I've experienced here. And so I've been in a bunch of different roles, but the past five years I've worked with college kids at that church, uh, at Florida state FAMU and TCC. And, uh, and really have this, I have this privilege of being able to help people experience, you know, and in Christian community, what I experienced as, as a high schooler and college student right here in my hometown. Man, that's so cool, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, you make such a good point there that a lot of times we're most uh, susceptible to to understanding who we really are when our identities are crushed, <laughs> um, and uh, the people who we think we're going to be, um, and you definitely see that played out in your story. Um, you know, I've seen it played out in in my own in certain ways, um, and I think that's when. It, it, you know, we've been sitting here talking fishing a lot. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the identity of who we think we're going to be that, that we miss out a lot of times on what it is that maybe God's trying to do in the moment or God's trying to do when, when those things come crashing down around us. Um, and, uh, man, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, I, uh, I, I feel you there with the whole athletic thing, you know, um, feeling, you know, that was, that was going to be my plan in life as well. And uh, it, it took all that crumbling and falling apart for, for God to really do what he wanted to do in me. And now I'm serving in ministry as well. And um, so it's uh, it, it's it's cool to look back from this perspective, though, and see how he's been faithful through it all. So um, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, uh, in, in your role, do you get some college kids ever into fly fishing and, and relate to them that way? Does they, they ever connect or? <laughs> yeah. I, I try to be careful with that. Cause you know, I only have so much space on my, on my skiff. That's a good uh, point. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole nother story. No, you know, I mean, um, a, a lot of our students are, have no clue. A lot of our students think it's really cool. And some of our students, you know, I'll, I'll try to help them out. Um, I, I don't really care if anybody fly fishes or not. Um, you know, I don't, that's what, that's what gets me going. That's what I like to do. That's a, you know, but 
I, I do try to help our college students just get uh, this is a, a whole nother hour podcast, but try to help them get connected to the natural world, not mm-hmm. just have everything in their life be, you know, on a screen. And um, so to me, that's it's kind of like it's they're kind of like my kids. They're more like my little brothers and sisters. But, uh, you know, that I try to get them outside for sure. That's good. Do you think so? I, I got to ask you because you hit on it. Do you think that's like one of the biggest challenges in that like upper high school college age ministry is yeah yeah i think i think one of the i i mean we could talk a long time about that too i think one of the weird the one of the weird situations that we're living in is everybody can in their own mind make themselves out to be these celebrities and put all these pressures on themselves and uh be so concerned about their projected image and all this stuff when man like you know uh it, it, it distracts you so much from what really matters. And, you know, so you have college kids worried about, you know, what their image is and mm-hmm. college students who are worried about what everybody else is doing. And before you know it, you're not putting any, you're not investing any time and energy into actually things that are going to help you grow or, or even things that you actually enjoy. Like you see these college kids on their phone, you know, sitting at a coffee shop for 30 minutes straight on their phone, they look miserable and they are miserable. And it's like, why are you wasting your time sitting around thinking about how people are doing cooler things than you? Why don't you just look up and enjoy your cup of coffee and start thinking about what you want to do today? You know? So, I mean, I, you know, I think that's definitely a big challenge. I think that might be a mic drop and we might just kind (laughs) of, that's that's a good way. That's a good way Uh, to wrap wrap it up. up. But before we wrap it up, want to make sure and give everybody a chance. Um, how can people, obviously, the Captain's Collective on all podcast platforms? Yeah. And, and you also have like, a website? Yeah, we got a website. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not super, super active on social media yet. Um, but, I mean, you can follow us on Instagram and, uh, and or Facebook. And uh, you can always reach out directly to me if you got questions. Just, you can shoot me an email. It's on the website. Well, Hunter, we really appreciate your time, man. Uh, folks, really go check it out. Check out Hunter's show. Um, he's living the good life down there in Florida and uh, fishing when he can, but also just uh, being a great dad. And thanks for your insight into uh, to all that stuff, man. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time for Dads on the Fly. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for doing this. Great, great stuff. Thanks, Hunter. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith, family, and fishing all on the fly. Make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads on the Fly. Shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all. If you'd like to check out any Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. And as always, if you can, leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.